Welcome to the Real Marathon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the best in film each and every week. I'm Rob Carraher. And I'm Danny Carraher. And today we are going to be beginning our Wes Anderson Marathon. Um, with Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch, uh, set to premiere at Cannes in July and coming to theaters in October. Uh, Danny and I thought it would be fun to work through his filmography and do uh, a, some episodes to kind of fill in the gaps between uh, some of the bigger films that will be coming out over the course of the year um, and really talk about his filmography. Um, this is something that I think we both want to do uh, more of with filmmakers. Um, and I know that we had a discussion, Danny, about there are certain filmmakers that you just can't do this for because they're just way too many movies that they have made. Um, and Wes Anderson is just kind of hits that sweet spot where he's made enough that makes it interesting where you really can talk a lot about a lot of different things, um, but not so many that it's not manageable to work through his entire catalog. Um, so I know this was your suggestion and I'll let you talk a little bit about that. So French Dispatch, is this, this is going to be his 10th or 11th movie? I believe it is his 10th movie. Okay. Um, I'm curious, you know, throughout this process, I, I assume, I think we've talked a little bit about this, that Wes Anderson is a director that you like, but you're probably wouldn't rank in your upper, you know, division of directors <laughs> that you really, really like. I, I like him probably a little bit more than you do. I don't know if he's in my top five, but um, I have a feeling that on the other end of watching this, I'll have a greater appreciation for his movies, but there's a lot that um, I'm really excited to talk about in terms of, um, so I, I think his films have the potential of being ones that do not age well for a variety of reasons. Um, and so I'm excited to talk about that on all of his films uh, in different ways and how they have grown to become better over time and maybe how we can question some things over time as well. Yeah, I'm excited for that as well. Uh, to, to be completely honest, it's been a while since I have sat down and watched any of his films with the exception of Bottle Rocket, which was the film that we're going to be reviewing today, which is his very first film. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to kind of look at it through this lens and also to watch them in chronological order as he released them. Uh, Bottle Rocket, I had seen before, it had been a while. Uh, I have not yet seen Rushmore and I haven't seen Isle of Dogs, uh, which was his last uh, feature film that he had released prior to this year's The French Dispatch. And uh it was a that was a, a movie that I was actually pretty excited to see. And then I just never saw it. Um, and Wes Anderson, we, you made the comment. He isn't probably in the top tier of directors that I would say are my favorite. Um, but he is the sort of director when he releases a movie. It's on my radar. It's something that I'm interested in seeing. And in most years that he releases a movie i am probably going to see that movie and I, I i don't really know why i didn't ever end up seeing um isle of dogs um but i'm excited to finally get a chance to see that film um as we work a little bit closer 
Uh, so like I said, this is going to be a marathon that will run from now, uh, probably up till sometime in the fall. Um, and we will culminate that with uh, our, our review of the French, French Dispatch when that is released on um, October 22nd. Nice. I'm excited. Um, I think that uh, Wes Anderson's a director that he kind of puts his own original stamp on everything he makes. And so more so, I would say, than a lot of directors, it's hard to um, watch a Wes Anderson movie without thinking about the fact that this is directed by Wes Anderson. And so you're, you're always uh, aware of the fact that this is a, a vision that he's creating rather than a story that he's just allowing to kind of allowing people to watch without the uh, intrusion of his, his artistic insight or view of, of the story. 100%. And I think that's something that makes him unique. Um, there aren't a lot of directors out there that if you had never seen the movie before and you just happened to like flip through channels on TV and the movie popped up, um, there aren't a lot of directors that you can immediately say that's that director's film. That right. is the case with Wes Anderson just because of his style. Um, and, and so, yeah, yeah, he's definitely... Uh, I would consider to be an auteur and uh, because of the way that he makes films, whether or not you think certain people might think that his quality of films aren't at that level. I think generally he's a pretty well-respected director in the film industry um, and probably more well-respected than maybe even I give him credit for. Um, but I do, I do respect him. And that's, that's the reason that we're, we're doing this marathon. Um, like I said, the film is playing at Cannes. Uh, we knew that this was going to be one of the films that was going to play at Cannes uh, before they announced the official lineup of films uh, this past week. Um, but as a whole, it is a pretty stacked uh, lineup of directors. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, we a bunch of movies had to wait to be released this year. And so there was a huge selection and it seems like nearly every filmmaker, big time filmmaker that has been uh, applauded for their work at some point in time in their career um, is releasing a film this year. Uh, and there's a few that are releasing multiple films because they, they just have it in the pipeline. Um, but you definitely see that playing out. Um, there aren't a lot of household names because a lot of these filmmakers are foreign and they're, they're very well respected in the, the, the film industry around the world. But Americans probably aren't going to have heard of a lot of them. But there are definitely um, some, some movies on here that I am pretty psyched to see. Um, and I'm going to be really interested, even though we're not going to be able to watch it uh, this summer. I'm going to be really interested to see what buzz comes out of Cannes next month. Um, and uh, French Dispatch is right there uh, in the middle of all of that. Before we kind of move forward with everything, but I, I wanted to know what uh, what movies in particular are you really looking forward to? Because I've looked at the, the lineup, but I can't remember everything. So the opening film, which is in competition, is Annette, um, which is kind of a quirky musical. We've already talked about that on the ship on the show. Um, that is going to be premiering at uh, at Cannes. Um, there's a film called Benedetta 
uh, which is also going to be premiering. We already knew about those. Um, but then there's some movies that uh, seem kind of interesting based upon the filmmakers that are uh, making it. Uh, Bergman Island looks interesting. Flag Day, which is by Sean Penn. Um, he's made a handful of films as a director, uh, but I love Into the Wild so much that uh, I, I'm expecting big things from this film. Maybe I shouldn't be. Um, a Hero. Uh, this is a film by Asghar Faradi, who has won two um, Academy Awards for Best Foreign for Film from uh, Iran. And so... We don't really know anything about this film, but there's a ton of buzz simply because of who the director is. And so that is very, very likely to be a big time film that's released. Um, let's see, what else do we got? Red Rocket, which is Sean Baker. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of Sean Baker, but he is a kind of a indie star in the film world. And uh, so there'll be a lot of buzz around that. Um Titan, which is Julia uh, Dacournau, who was the director of Raw. Um, she has her new film that's going to be released. Um, and then there's some that are going to be outside of uh, the competition that are just premiering. Um, there is a documentary about the Velvet Underground by Todd Haynes. Todd Haynes is an excellent director uh, that will be premiering out of competition. Tom McCarthy, who made Spotlight, is premiering Stillwater at, uh, at, out of competition. And that movie is actually going to be out in theaters by the end of July. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Cow by Andrea Arnold, who made American Honey, is going to be uh, premiering at, um, at, at Cannes. There's going to be a JFK uh, or a I think it's a documentary by Oliver Stone about the making of his film, JFK. Um, so I don't know if that's going to be any good at all, <laughs> but it is no that sounds not interesting to me. <laughs> I mean, I know he's a well-known director, but I, I, Oliver Stone movies are already long, but then watching a documentary about one of his films. Yeah. yeah, I imagine that it, may, it probably isn't going to be overly interesting, but you still, because it's Oliver Stone, yeah. um, it, it makes it noteworthy. Um, Charlotte Gainsborough is going to release a movie called Jane Parr Charlotte. Um, and then the last film I want to talk about here is Evolution, which is by Cornell Mundrusco, who made uh, Pieces of a Woman, which was my favorite film from the uh, 2020 uh, film season. So I'm really interested to see if the craft on that film transfers over to this, this film Evolution. Um, the interesting thing about film festival films is a lot of times you just don't really know that much about them. Um, which kind of creates this excitement. And so the people involved uh, have to create that buzz. Um, and then there's just kind of, as, as these movies are playing, the excitement that's going to come out of the festival uh, makes, makes it a little more interesting and kind of keeps you engaged, even though it may be a while before we actually get to see some of these films. It'd be really interesting to sometime like go back and look at like movies that hadn't been received well at Cannes and ended up becoming like critically received 
by outside of cans but then or vice versa you know movies that seemed like they were hot that everybody was gonna love it and then it did well but then no one paid attention to it it'd be kind of cool to track those and um, go back and look at some of those i agree um the thing about cans it's this year may be a little different and maybe cans is going to shift a little um now with more uh access i think that a lot of these films are going to have greater access now just because of the way that we are consuming film um and so it may be more of a launching platform for uh, award season in general it is not there's always a handful of films that come out and actually are award players um but cans isn't really that type of festival um Ven- the venice festival is more of kind of that uh set up for award season a lot of times the winner of their top prize at venice goes on to be a best picture nominee um and stuff like that so um it's going to be interesting in particular just because i think that there's a lot more interest in this festival this year uh specifically in the united states and there probably was um five years ago. And so I think we're going to start to see maybe a little bit more uh, representation um, here in the United States from this festival. And maybe we'll get to see some of these movies uh, this year rather than next year or the year after, which often happens with these festivals because they got to be picked up by a distributor. Right. So yeah. 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 The other thing is that uh, Spike Lee is the head of the jury for this festival this year. Um, and so going to be interesting to kind of see what he and his jury end up, uh, picking as the top film to come out of cans. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else you want to say about cans before we shift gears I, a little bit here? It's not super on my radar. I know that I, the, I mean, the ones that I am kind of most excited for are French dispatch and Annette. Annette seems totally interesting to me. I listened to I don't know if we talked about the song that had been released maybe a week or so ago. Um, but I mean, like the Sparks brothers wrote the music, correct. Right. Yep. And I think that will be a really interesting movie. I, I mean, I can't say that I'm, I'm, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to like it for sure, but I think at the very least it will be interesting. Yeah. yeah and I agree with that. Um, Speaking of the Spark Brothers, uh, in a couple weeks, their their documentary is going to be out in theaters. Um, and I, I figure there'll probably be some movies that we catch along the way. We don't necessarily plan on doing a full-blown review for. Um, but uh, during this kind of intro time, we may uh, talk about some of those movies that we did get a chance to see. Or in the case of some of these marathon weeks, we may make that the second half of our show where we just kind of do some brief reviews, um, which we are going to be doing today. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about a couple movies that we saw um, this past week um, that uh, we just want to uh, kind of put out there a little bit and uh, let folks know what, what we thought of them. Um, before we move into our review on uh, Bottle Rocket, uh, it's been a couple weeks since we had our last show and there have been some pretty prominent, uh, trailers that got dropped in the, in the meantime. And, uh, I thought it might be kind of fun to talk about a few of those. Um, the first that was released, 
that uh, was pretty noteworthy was the first trailer for Eternals, which is an upcoming Marvel movie um, being directed by Oscar winner Chloe Zhao, um, who's coming off of a pretty remarkable run at the Oscars. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what actually ends up happening with this film. I mean, it, from the trailer, it looks like it's going to be beautiful in the way that it is made. It, it still looks true to kind of that Marvel universe, but clearly, clearly has a Chloe Zhao feel to it. Yeah, I mean, you can tell that in just the aesthetic, visual aesthetic of it. And I mean, I, I saw a couple commentaries on social media that one was that they didn't really market the fact that she was... Uh, Academy Award direct or winning director in the trailer which people were like what the heck how could how would you not do that you know and then the other thing was that somebody was saying you know pe people get excited about Marvel trailers like no matter what and they said it's like gotta be honest there was a lot of just still shots of people standing <laughs> it's like yep that's pretty much all that Marvel fans need to freak out a little bit and I mean I, I, I'm a Marvel fan. I'm excited to see it. And I'm, I'm doubly excited to see it because it's got a, an interesting filmmaker at the helm of it. So, yeah, I'm probably, I'm not, I'm not an overly huge Marvel fan. Um, I can appreciate it for what it is. I'm glad that uh, it brings a lot of joy to the world. <laughs> um, but uh, I generally don't love uh, a lot of the films that are made, and I think that they are overrated. I am more interested in this simply because it is Chloe Zhao. But as you said, that they didn't really advertise that a ton in the trailer, and um, that's not their audience. They're not trying like that. Doesn't matter to most of the people that love Marvel films. Um, and so we'll see as it gets closer if they make a bigger deal out of that. Um, I don't know what the release date is on that film um, offhand or if they've set one exactly, but uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. It looks uh, unique. Um, and yeah, we're going to see, we're going to see it's a story that people don't really know. Um, and I think that makes it even more intriguing if you ask me. Yeah. I'm excited. Um, the other, tra another trailer that we, uh, both kind of took a look at here was the trailer for Last Night in Soho. Did you want to talk about what you thought of the Last Night in Soho trailer? Well, it's been since Baby Driver, correct, that Edgar Wright has made a movie. Well, other than the Spark Brothers. And Spark Brothers, which is yep. coming out here. Um, and that's a documentary. So yep. this, this has, he's, he's always interesting in terms of having he's kind of Wes Anderson-esque in the fact that he he's great at timing in his uh, films, editing. He uses a lot of close-up shots and he's uh, definitely has his own style and um, I'm excited to see it. But the thing that was interesting is it, it felt new to me. It felt like it was something that he hadn't done yet just based on this trailer. Um, it's got Thomason McKenzie, correct? Yep. Is that her name? And then uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, who both of which are in a bunch of movies in the last year and then this year. Um, and so it's exciting to see what they do. And I mean, you kind of get a, a vibe of what this story is kind of going towards, but it leaves enough ambiguity to kind of tap, pique that interest a little bit. And um, 
I think this will be a really interesting movie. And it seems kind of like an ode to some of the um, classic, almost horror uh, type of um, practices and in the way that they shot it and the, the expression of the actors. It seems kind of overdone in a deliberate sense to create that effect. Which is which is kind of his forte, uh, Edgar Wright's forte. He likes celebrating the f- types of films that he really, really likes. Um, and uh, yeah, you definitely can see it um, simply from from this trailer. Now, the thing that's interesting is that he has pretty regularly made comedy uh, based films. Uh, Baby Driver was maybe kind of. St- moving away from that a little bit um but it still had uh comedy elements to it um and it's gonna be interesting to see how much of that is infused in this movie it is not being really depicted as being a comedy um in fact it feels to me it feels very darren aronofsky uh mm-hmm. it, it kind of has this psychological thriller kind of yeah yeah um and uh yeah it, it it looks really interesting. I was interested in this film just because it was Edgar Wright. Um, very rarely am I interested in a film already. I see the trailer and I'm more interested in it. And that's the way it, I, I felt after watching this trailer. Um, it just it gave, gave you enough to get you really excited, um, but keeps you super intrigued uh, as to what is actually happening in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really excited about it. You mentioned Anya Taylor-Joy and Thomasin McKenzie. It's very exciting because these are two of probably the uh, top up-and-coming actresses, and uh, they're hitting their stride this year. And the fact that they are both in their in the same movie together um, is it's going to be it's going to be one for for the record books i think in terms of uh uh just the what what this movie can accomplish for both of these actresses and ultimately for Edgar Wright because of all this culminating at the same time i bet anya taylor joy wins an oscar in the next five years i would not be surprised if that's the case she seems to be a, an extremely hard-working actress that's uh, constantly looking to make a new interesting project. And I think that that's probably in her future. I also think Thomas and McKenzie could be in that conversation as well. Yeah. Um, and speaking of Thomas and McKenzie, uh, another trailer that dropped this uh, over the last couple of weeks is the trailer for old, which is an M night Shyamalan uh, film. And she's also in this film. Uh, and this is a very interesting concept, uh, and the trailer gave me enough to um, pique my interest. I think there is a chance that this movie is bad because it's M. Night Shyamalan, and it's uh, also just kind of a bizarre concept of uh, this beach that ages people, and that's about all we really know. <laughs> um, Here's the beauty of an M. Night Shyamalan movie is there's always a chance that it is bad, but it, there also is a chance that he struck gold again. And uh, he's, he's definitely always telling an interesting premise in a story. Yep. And whether or not that is executed to the best 
level i i mean that's the that's the question but i'm i i thought it seemed interesting even though it seemed a little absurd but seemed interesting to me and um i'll probably watch it um did you happen to get a chance to watch the reminiscence Reminiscence. i have not watched it um you got it this stars hugh jackman and rebecca ferguson and uh it's coming out in august and it's this concept of a scientist who discovers a way to relive um the past and uses this technology that he has to try to find um this lost love that he he had uh had come across at one point in time and it, it feels a little christopher nolan-y like it doesn't look Christ- like a christopher nolan film but just kind of the concept it, it feels a little bit uh in that vein and i'm very interested it could be pretty bad um but uh it it could be also very original and good um the director hasn't really done much uh she Lisa Joy, um, she was involved with Westworld. Um, she was involved with the television show Pushing Daisies. She was involved with the television show Burn Notice. Um, but this is her first uh, feature feature film. And um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to kind of see if it ends up being good. Uh, but it, it definitely drew my attention. And um, I will pro- very likely see it unless it just gets absolutely trashed by critics leading up to its release. You know, it's, it's one that just based off of the information you just gave me, it's one that could totally be, you know, f- could flop. But even still, I'm interested in Lisa Joy as maybe an up and coming director or some, a storyteller. Cause I mean, I, I don't know Pushing Daisies or Burn Notice. I've heard of the, the project before, but I mean, Westworld is a fairly successful show. She's a producer on that. She's directed this, I think two episodes I just saw. And uh, I don't know, that's, it's kind of intriguing. And with a good cast too, it seems like it could potentially be worthwhile to, to check out. Yeah. And the other thing is that we, we talked, uh, it might've been on the last episode about, um, female directors and how there just aren't a lot specifically kind of in this genre. And, um, and so it might be kind of cool to see, to see if she, uh, can strike gold and kind of become this more female, uh, driven sci-fi thriller type director. Um, so definitely on my radar and something I'm going to be taking a look at. I, I would highly doubt that it is an award player, maybe, maybe for some visual effects or, um, sound or something like that. Um, but I'd be very, very surprised if, uh, acting wise, screenplay wise, anything like that, that it's going to be on awards radar. Um, but it, it still looks interesting enough to, uh, warrant a, at least, looking into as we get a bit, little bit closer to its release date. Yeah. Um, was there any other trailers or anything that you found interesting that uh, we, we have discovered over the last couple of weeks since the last time we had a show? Uh, I can't think of anything. I'd, I'd caught up with uh, the Aretha Franklin trailer or trailer respect. Um, and I, I mean, we had that conversation. I, I do think that it, it seems interesting to me because of performances. So yeah, but I'd seen yeah. that since our last conversation. 
So yeah, it could be a little Oscar baity in terms of uh, Jennifer yeah. Hudson potentially being up for an Oscar nomination. Um, yep. All right. So with that, we are going to take a quick break. And when we return, we will be discussing Bottle Rocket by Wes Anderson. Stay right there. And we are back and we are going to be looking at our first film in our review marathon of Wes Anderson's movies. Um, we're going to be looking at his first film, Bottle Rocket, which came out in 1996. Um, I'm going to pitch it to you in just a little bit to kind of hear your thoughts on this film. But I wanted to give a quick summary of this movie and then I want to also highlight a, a part of a review from Roger Ebert that was written at the time of the release when it came out. So that way we can kind of get some context for the movie and that may, might be a way to kind of reframe our conversation a little bit um, before we, we jump into it. But uh, Bottle Rocket tells the story of, the, of best friends Dignan and Anthony played by Owen and Luke Wilson respectively who decide to leave behind their upper middle class uh, suburban life of their uh, upbringing and uh, le and start pursuing a life of crime. Um, they are not cut out to be criminals in any way, shape or form. And that's where a lot of the uh, comedy comes through. Um, but what is kind of at the heart of this movie is the relationship between the friends played by the Wilson brothers. Um, this is uh, what Roger Ebert wrote about Bottle Rocket in 1996. It says, Bottle Rocket is entertaining if you understand exactly what it is. If you see it as a film made by friends out of the materials presented by their lives and with the freedom to not push too hard, its fragile charm would have been destroyed by rewrites intended to pump it up or focus it. It needs to meander, to take time to listen to its dialogue, to slowly unveil character quirks particularly Dignans. And I think um, that is a, a, a astute kind of observation of the movie and interesting to kind of see how that uh, comment is something that we see play out in so many other Wes Anderson movies to come, but this is his very first one. So this is the very first taste anybody's having of Wes Anderson. So with that kind of on the brain, what were you thinking of Bottle Rocket when you uh, watched it for this review? So it's interesting because uh, it definitely, this film definitely doesn't have the complete Wes Anderson experience. It doesn't have the quirkiness that some of his later films um, kind of characterizes those, those films. But the, the interesting part about this is that you really get to see that skeleton of what uh, Wes Anderson has become and you can start to see that foundation building um, and I think because uh, there are still a lot of things in play here where he's trying to figure out kind of who he is as a filmmaker um, some of the storytelling elements some of the pacing um, it didn't 
it, I definitely did not have the same experience that Roger Ebert did. Um, and I don't know that I could say uh, so many elegant things about this film. I ended up giving it six out of 10 um, or three out of five stars. Uh, I, I really flirted with the idea of giving it seven out of out of 10. Um, I very easily could have. Um, it kind of fits somewhere in between there. Um, but my main and I may end up spoiling, spoiling a little bit here. So if you have not seen this film yet, uh, maybe put, put our show on pause and go watch it and then come back and finish the show. I mean, it um, came out in 1996. So. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, if you, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, that's on you. Yeah. Um, but uh, this, the, the character that Owen Wilson plays, he's such an idiot. Um, and... Uh, the fact that Luke Wilson's character keeps going back to him after he's shown to be kind of a nitwit over and over and over again, and he just kind of plays along. Um, after a certain point, it's kind of like, okay. Uh, and, and I think that that is, there's some issues with the screenplay, which is actually co-written by Owen Wilson along with Wes Anderson. Um, and th I think there's some problems with that uh, because this film maybe a little bit more than his other movies uh, has some elements of realism um, that it, because it's not as campy or quirky. Uh, it, it plays as being a more straightforward story. Yeah. There's some goofy stuff that goes along with it, but because it's not, taken up that like extra level um it to me there are points where it misses mm -hmm. um the other thing is that it probably let's see it was it's an hour and a half movie it felt like a longer movie than that um and it's because the pacing isn't great um there this is actually based on a short film uh, they was already made prior to this. And um, you can make an argument that maybe it should have stayed as a short film because it seemed like they were at times stretching, trying to stretch the movie out. And uh, in particular, I know that like the whole side love story between Luke Wilson and the character of Inez, who was played by an actress, uh, Lumi Cavazos, um, that it, it felt a little forced and then didn't quite have a strong resolution. Um, and that's okay. You can do that. I think that there, that, that it works in certain instances. I just don't know that it, it quite worked here. And I liked that, that kind of dynamic. I thought it was an in, one of the more interesting parts of the film was his kind of pursuit of this, uh, housekeeper at the at the motel that they're staying at because um, it's it's ridiculous and the fact that she goes for it is even more ridiculous but uh, there's some charm to it because uh, Luke Wilson is a pretty charming guy and um, in in that yeah it, anyway uh, that there's parts of this where it just feels a little stretched out and um, kind of like that they almost are rehashing what happened earlier in the film when they go and do their uh, um, like final robbery at the 
toward the end of, uh, of the movie. Yeah. Um, the characters, they're fun. Like they're fun characters. Uh, I actually really like the character of uh, Bob Maplethorpe played by Robert Musgrave. I think he's actually probably my favorite character <laughs> out of the bunch. Um, and it's cause it's kind of a, it's a kind of an understated role. Uh, and he's kind of the brunt of a lot of the jokes. Uh, but, uh, it's a, it's a fun character. Um, and so I thought having him in there and kind of making this kind of buddy comedy into a like triplet, uh, buddy comedy, uh, made it a little bit more interesting. And the, the, at the end where he likes, he claims his relationship has improved with his brother only to find out that he, he's, he's happy with like his brother still treating him like total crap. It's just yep. so heartbreaking. Yep. But I, um, did you have any other thoughts to, to share on yours before I come? Um, the thing I do have to say is that uh, you can see that Wes Anderson is at, at this time is a pretty good filmmaker. He has an eye for how to frame shots. Um, he does some interesting things with uh, editing at times, um, but he's still very much in his infancy. And I'm not so sure that had I seen this film in 1996 without understanding who Wes Anderson is, I don't know that I would have had the forethought to mm -hmm. think this guy's going to be a star. Um, it, this is the sort of film for me that would kind of slink away into uh, everything else that was probably coming out during that time. And I'm not, uh, I definitely feel like as a film lover and somebody that is interested in the studying of film, unlike a lot of other critics and uh, people that love film, I'm more interested in 21st century film. Um, and because I feel like there's this clear kind of cutoff where, uh, the way film is portrayed changes around the year 2000. Um, there's some films that kind of can be lumped in with that earlier or from the later part of the nineties, but there's this change. And so I'm more interested in studying film during this time period. So I haven't, I haven't seen a ton of films from the 1996 year um but something tells me if i took some time to watch a lot of those movies that this movie probably still wouldn't be a top 10 film from that year for me um uh, especially with the give me giving it a six that would definitely not qualify in any year um uh, ever since then when i've put out top 10 lists um but i i do appreciate especially talking about Wes Anderson as a filmmaker that you can see kind of the infancy of um, this potentially great filmmaker uh, that, that makes unique uh, movies that, that definitely have a definitive feeling um, mm -hmm. or feel to them uh, and, and kind of sets him apart. Um, I, agree with a lot of the stuff that you said. I don't want to just reiterate everything that you said. I, I would say that if I had seen this in 1996 and I had no idea who Wes Anderson was going to be, maybe I wouldn't have 
liked this movie as much as I did. I did really like this movie and I actually gave it seven out of 10 stars. Um, there's things that I'm gonna talk about in a little bit that I think um, might become a theme in some of these conversations I have about Wes Anderson, but uh, I won't belabor it too much. But I thought the characters were really interesting to me. And I liked the premise of the, the person that is willing to uh, go to a mental hospital is that person that might be a little bit more stable than the person that is not willing to do that or not do it, you know, and that's clear in their characters from the very first scene. They, it's, it establishes those characters beautifully. And I love the, even though it's, it's kind of stupid. I love that switch at the beginning where you're under the impression that he is escaping, but then his, his uh, supervisor, the person comes in and says, what is this? It's like, oh, my friend thinks this is an in involuntary mental hospital. And so he feels like I have to break him out. I mean, I thought that had a lot of charm to it. And that, that alone hooked me. Um, I would agree that this movie does drag. And part of that is that it does rehash moments a little bit, but it had so much potential there that I really wanted, I think, more of those characters I, I i felt like we got so much time with anthony the luke wilson character that i was like i really get this character i kind of almost wish that i could see dignan interact with james Kahn a little bit more you know which is hilarious addition to the story and he's such a small part but it is um i don't know i i think that would have maybe been an interesting place to go or the the bob May maplethorpe character is that his name yep would have been Maybe something to to include more there. Uh, one quick side note: Did you see in IMDb that the the actor who plays Bob Maplethorpe's older brother is Luke and Owen Wilson's older brother? So there's a third Wilson brother, and that's that's him, the huh. one that, that James. Conn I didn't I didn't realize that, but I uh, his name yeah his name is Andrew Wilson. So that's yeah I did not realize that that's that was yeah. the case. And it's so I mean this is. Uh, I, I'd, know, I'd known that uh, Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson got their start with Wes Anderson, but I had not realized that this they were such a part of that process and clearly part of the, the filmmaking. And um, But aside from that, uh, a couple other notes that I wanted to make real qu quick on the movie is I think that the performances are pretty good. I did think this was funny. It has, like you said, the clear kind of skeleton of what Wes Anderson would become later I think and so seeing that vision early on in, in the, uh, his first movie I think is really cool and you're like oh he's already kind of a fully formed director even though this isn't what he eventually ends up doing it's definitely the seed is there um, I think that obviously the chemistry between the Wilson brothers is really good it's like fun to watch them act with one another and um, I enjoyed that. I, I, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the first robbery scene. And it's a sequence where Owen Wilson is, is trying to like be forceful and push the guy to like be quicker. And the guy yells at him and Owen Wilson right away backs off. So he has like no real intimidation factor at all. And I thought that was just a really hilarious scene. Um, the last thing that I kind of want to pose as something think thinking about this moving forward is this is the issue I, I tend to see with Wes Anderson movies is because 
he is, I think, very, he, he I mean, any, any director, you can't really see the world any other way from your perspective, but he comes from this very privileged white perspective and many of his films where he gets to be the kind of white explorer in experiencing other people's cultures, experiencing other people's way of life. And it's always coming from that perspective. That's something that we see in Darjeeling Unlimited. Um, we see that in uh, Isle of Dogs. Um, and I suspect we'll see some of that in French Dispatch. Um, I, I felt a slight sense of this kind of strange, um, you know, uh, approach to culture in the sequences with Inez in this this story and how that's played solely from this white guy's perspective and she just feels like kind of this two-dimensional character in the the background of the story um who doesn't seem to I mean like you, you even posed the the idea that like the fact that you would fall for him is ridiculous because like he he basically just pushes his way her, his way into her life um and seems annoying honestly but i mean that that's the that's the trouble i think with this movie versus maybe some of the other wes anderson movies is like you said it has enough realism to it that when you have ish potential issues like that those deserve to be scrutinized a little bit more whereas if i'm watching say isle of dogs which there was a lot of commentary when that came out about the uh, cultural appropriation of Japanese culture um, and just it being this white guy's perspective on that. I think he gets away with it more there because there's a, a kind of quirky creative dis distance from reality um, that maybe a lot of people were able to excuse that or maybe they felt like it was not an issue in the first place. Um, but I'm going to be curious to keep pitching this to you as we go through um, the, the rewatch to see in what ways is, is he just kind of reiterating that he is telling stories from this white privileged background that is, you know, constantly seeing the world through a white American's lens, you know. That's a, and that's a really interesting commentary, something that I didn't really think about in terms of Wes Anderson. Um, I think that's a problem just with a lot of white directors, uh, specifically white American directors, is that they often, um, their, their perspective eventually becomes a little bit stale uh, just because they don't really know what else to, to explore. And um, it, it's a slightly a catch 22 because there's certain things that he can't explore, but you're right. I think that he could do a better job of telling some of these stories um, from these minority perspectives without them being kind of, I don't know, almost like a tool for these other characters to operate in the way that they wish to operate. Yeah. Um, it's like more of an accessory than anything. And you see that, like you think about, I think about like Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, he, that's very much kind of the way that that, I, although that movie probably does a little bit better job uh, with um, centering a minority character as one of the main roles. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, it's more of a dual sort of thing where you still have uh, the white um, privileged man as uh, the, the focus of the film. And I don't, I, I, I think the thing I want to mention too is that I can, I can recognize it I, I can enjoy the movie regardless of that conversation, but I think uh, once that I heard that um, critique of him from when his Isle of Dogs came out, I, it kind of stuck with me in a way that I think is, um, you know, worthwhile to to consider. But you're you're right to say that it is kind of a catch twenty two because it's like, who am I to you know? try to portray a perspective that I don't truly understand. So I'm going to continue to, but the, the difference between him and say other American white directors is that he is going to these other places often uh, culturally because he's interested in that. He's, he yeah. wants to explore that, but he it's, it is, it's worth noting. It's not necessarily a problem with the movie, but it's worth noting that he's only really exploring that that perspective of things and seeing things through that lens and so that's that's something that I think is maybe where Wes Anderson maybe doesn't have appeal to some people and it's also and I mean think about it just in terms of gender almost all of his movies are about male characters and I I actually can't think of a his any of his movies where there's a leading as the main character although I, I think, I don't, obviously I don't know because I haven't seen it yet and really nobody's seen it yet, but the French Dispatch, there's some belief that Francis McDormand's character is the main character in that film. And he also has such a huge ensemble a lot of the time that it kind of, it, that goes away in the, the first place, but. So. Right, 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 right. Um, it is going to be interesting kind of to see this. And I think as we move through this, um, I'm going to be interested to see if watching these movies in a shorter time frame is going to um, make me become more bored with him as a filmmaker. Um, because I think that he does kind of lean on the same sort, sort of shticks um, pretty often. Uh, yeah, they're in a different environment and, uh, different types of characters in terms of the way that they're being played out. Um, but if the French dispatch is not quite a bit different than say, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel or, um, parts of the life aquatic mm-hmm. uh then because i think moonrise kingdom is a little different with but even Moon, moonrise kingdom too because there's some some stuff with adults that kind of play into that mm-hmm. but if it's not an, it different enough um i think that we're going to start having this conversation uh as just film critics in general of whether or not uh he can make a a different sort of movie yeah and it's it for me it's all going to be dependent on how much is he just leaning into the same quirky things that he's done Mm -hmm. time and time again and um yeah the isle of dogs i'm excited to rewatch it i have only seen it once and it's one that i thought about a lot it was very thought provoking and i think 
since Grand Budapest Hotel, maybe right after Moonrise Kingdom, there was a switch feels like, and he has started to, I think, become maybe a little bit more of a sentimental director in some ways. Um, and so I hope that plays out in French Dispatch. But again, it's, it's also a movie that just based on the trailer, it's kind of a hard movie to track in terms of what this story is going to be. It could go in, in knowing the type of movie filmmaker he is, it could go in a thousand different directions. And, you know, I, I'm sure it will. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be a lot of different quirky stories and just how he melds those together is going to be, hopefully, I hope there's some sort of heart to it or sentimental aspect to it that, you know, says more than just it being about entertaining people with quirkiness, you know? And I don't think he tries to do that. I think that that's just the type of movie he makes. I think he, he just finds that interesting. And so I don't think he's trying to be deliberately quirky. It's just, we, we view him as that. <laughs> yeah, I think, and I, I tend to agree with that. And uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, you're right, as uh, more of a sentimental uh, feel to it. So yeah, we're going to be seeing, and, and I'll be interested to revisit that film now, many years after that, that was released, um, just to see if it kind of it feels uh, the same that it did when I, when I initially saw that. I think I saw that movie two times. Um, I saw it initially in the theater, and then I think I watched it one more time after. Um, but uh, I, I, I'm going to be interested to see if it still plays the same way that it did initially um and uh yeah we'll we'll probably revisit that sometime in early fall yeah um so once again i ended up giving the film three out of five stars danny you gave it three and a half out of five um you can watch this movie bottle rocket on amazon prime um or you can rent it on uh, a lot of the other uh, different services out there that allow you to rent movies, YouTube, uh, iTunes, wherever you like to watch your movies. Um, so if after our conversation today, this sounds like a film that you would like to watch if we didn't ruin it entirely for you, um, go out and check it out on Amazon Prime. When we return from this break, uh, we are each going to be talking about a film that we, we watched in the last week. Um, and just kind of gives uh, a few thoughts on what we thought about those those two films. So stick right there. And we are back talking about a couple films that we saw this week. Uh, we're not going to go too in-depth on this, but just wanted to give some insight on some of the things that we either liked or didn't like about the, the films that we, we saw. So I'm going to hand it over to you, Danny, to talk about the film that you caught um, in the theaters this past week. Yeah, so I saw uh, Quiet Place 2, part two in the theaters, and um, I, I gave this an eight out of 10. I really did enjoy this movie quite a bit. I, I actually think I might like it a little bit better than the first uh, Quiet Place. Um, I think what is most impressive about this movie is just how much 
is building suspense and no part of the story is wasted. It's a pretty short movie. It runs at about an hour and 37 minutes, I believe. Um, so it's a quick watch and it goes by pretty quickly. Um, the performances are strong um, from the entire cast. Uh, it opens up the, the kind of the world in which this story takes place a little bit more. And they've kind of announced or insinuated that there's going to be a, a third um, addition to this, this franchise and it will be a trilogy. And it, you know, I, I think if you're into suspenseful movies or horror movies, or if you like, um, movies that have uh, a franchise to it so there's something to look forward to coming out in the future I think you should definitely check this out because it's um, it's kind of it's not a classic horror type movie but it's definitely suspenseful and um, I, I really enjoyed it um, I know you haven't seen it yet Rob but I think it it's probably one that you'll you will enjoy and um, even if you don't love it I think you should still check it out. I probably would have seen this movie uh, already if I wasn't uh, selfishly saving my first return to the theater for In the Heights this week. Um, but uh, yeah, because I really enjoyed the first one. I maybe didn't like it as much as the average uh, moviegoer, um, but I still thought it was very good and uh, showed off um, pretty good craft from John Krasinski. Uh, and so it's going to be interesting to see where he goes as a director or if he's going to be kind of stuck here. He's made a couple other movies that, that didn't weren't particularly uh, well received by critics um, early on. But these movies have been like these are two movies that uh, generally were loved both by audiences and critics. And um I can't speak to whether or not a third one needs to be made, but uh, I, it's hard. It's hard to uh, be upset with the studio for wanting to make another one after being pretty successful with both of these films. I mean, this movie probably didn't need to be made either, but that's the way the, <laughs> the movie industry works. If they can make some money off of it, they'll do it. And I understand that completely. Um, but yeah, I am. I think that maybe more than anything, I'm interested in where John Krasinski's uh, career takes him and if he's more interested in being a director um, post, post his office career or if he would like to uh, do some more interesting things as an actor. Or maybe he just wants to do both. Um, but um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, the film that I watched this week, which is not really, doesn't necessarily fit into the general criteria of uh, stuff that we we talk about on the show, simply because it is a uh, TV special, is Bo Burnham's Inside, which is uh, on Netflix, and um, it is being sold as a comedy special and it definitely has comedic elements to it. A lot of kind of that dark comedy that Bo Burnham has. Um, but it, it also has a lot to say about mental health and um, how mental health issues, they don't discriminate. <laughs> they are going to, regardless of who you are, regardless of how successful you are, um, you are in a position where mental health can create 
very, very difficult situations for you. Um, and I think my, my person, I ended up giving this a eight out of 10. Um, it's a little one uh, lower than the average on IMDb. Um, this is being universally loved. Uh, I've heard only good things about it um, pretty much across the board. And I think that I probably did not love it as much as the average person. Um, I think sometimes things get like people get caught up in the moment. And I think that this uh, probably is something that a lot of people can relate to in terms of um, their experience during the pandemic um, and the way that Bo Burnham portrays that and kind of the loneliness that goes along with that. Um, and so I imagine a lot of people probably can relate to what, uh, what he is talking about. Um, there are some parts that I would say are bordering cringy because I didn't understand, like it, my, my interpretation of it, um, I didn't know if he was going for comedy or going for being serious. And so it gets lost a little bit in translation um, and that made it awkward at times. And so I'd be interested to maybe watch it again and see if it plays a little differently now that I have seen the entirety of it um, and kind of have a better idea of what the project as a whole is trying to represent. Um, but uh, the craft that goes into this, this project is insane. And he did all of it essentially himself. Um, it's the entire thing is made in a single room and he does a bunch of editing. Uh, he does some interesting things with lighting. Um, and it, from a craft standpoint, it is a pretty incredible experience and something that I think the average movie watcher probably isn't as tuned into as I am, um, because that's something that I'm looking for. And when I was initially watching it, that wasn't what I was expecting. You think comedy special, that's not a, a part of a typical comedy special. Um, but I think that's what makes this a really unique experience because there really has never been anything done quite like this. And I think that, um, you know, this Bo Burnham Marty was a pretty popular guy. I think this is the sort of thing though, that is going to probably take him up to another level in terms of the way that he is perceived in the public. Well, I, I haven't seen it yet. And I've seen, I've seen the first part of it. I'm saving it to watch. Um, but I, I think that, uh, the thing that's so interesting to me about what I've seen of it and what I've heard about it is that you have a director or you have a, you have a comedian who is uh, kind of made these songs on YouTube, you know, and that, and then he becomes a, a pretty well-known comedian tours. He does his own movie, eighth grade. Um, and then he's kind of, almost it's like if a professional director made a really really impressive youtube video you know what i mean in terms of just like using what you have there with you at your house and he of course probably has more equipment than <laughs> most youtube people on youtube would would be able to to use but i think that 
that is like an interesting kind of dynamic. And also with it being, you know, about his real life and about him, it has that almost vlog aspect to it. And it feels very of the time because of that. Um, and again, I have not seen the whole thing. I've seen the first probably 10 minutes of it. Um, but uh, I, I wanted to keep watching it. It's one that I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to definitely get to. Yeah, so if you either of these these films, um, you can go see A Quiet Place Two or Part Two in the theaters. Um, it just got uh, bumped from the number one movie this past weekend by The Conjuring uh, sequel, um, but uh, it's still doing very well, and I presume it will stick around here for a little bit, so you can catch A Quiet Place Two in the theaters, um, and then uh, Bo Burnham Inside. You can catch that on Netflix. Um, so close out the show, I just want to kind of do a preview of what is to come here over the next um, probably about month or so. Uh, so this upcoming week is the week that I've been waiting for for I don't know how long. Uh, we're going to be doing a review of In the Heights. Um, you can catch In the Heights in the theater. You can also catch it on Friday. Uh, it will be on HBO Max. Um, and so if you still want to go to the theater or you don't have access to do that, um, you can still watch it, uh, from, from home. Um, but I am going to be going to the theater for the first time to see this. Uh, in addition, we are going to be doing a countdown, kind of going back to our typical format. Um, we're going to do a countdown of our top five favorite movie musicals. Um, I am going to put one, especially for those of you at home, if you're trying to kind of come up with movie musicals that you love, I am going to rule out any of the cartoon, um, like Disney type musicals. And the reason being is that that might be something that we want to revisit in the fall when Disney's new, uh, new Disney musical will be, uh, coming out i think in november um so that might be something that we do as a countdown at that time because there are plenty of disney musicals and so we're going to limit it to live action uh movie musicals um we can maybe be a little creative with that uh and pick some some movies that have music as a central part of it but aren't your classical typical type of musical so that's what we're going to do this upcoming weekend. Um, and we will be releasing that on Sunday. Um, the following week, uh, we're going to return back to our Wes Anderson marathon. And we will be reviewing the film uh, Rushmore. Uh, that will take place. That will be coming out on Father's Day. That, that episode will on June 20th. Uh, the next week, we will continue our Wes Anderson Marathon and do the Royal Tenenbaums. So that's on June 27th. On July 4th, we will be doing a, a review of Pixar's Luca, which will be available actually, um, I believe on June 18th on Disney Plus. Um, but due to some traveling constraints, uh, we will not be doing a review until the weekend of July 4th. Uh, the following week on July 11th, we will be reviewing the new Marvel film, Black Widow. 
Um, and then the next week we will be doing what is sure to be the best movie of the year, uh, Space Jam. <laughs> and uh, that it will be a fun one. Um, I don't do not have high high expectations for that film, but uh, that is the week before the Olympics. So we may make that kind of a celebration of um, sports cinema and uh, talking about some of the great sports movies that have been made um, as we, we head into Olympic week. Um, so I think that is all for this week's show. Uh, we look forward to seeing you again here in a few days and talking about probably one of my most anticipated movies of the year in the Heights. Um, and I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I'm excited for you to go to the theater. That'll be super fun. All right. We'll see you next week. See ya.